Welcome to the Learning and Development Podcast. I'm David James from Loop, and each week I chat with guests about what lights them up in the world of people development. This week, I'm speaking with Dr. Carol Pemberton, who is an author, speaker, coach, and renowned expert on resilience. I'd like to thank Katie Howard, who suggested this topic for discussion, and I was excited to explore it at length with Carol. But before we get started, if you're enjoying this podcast, please do take the time to give us a rating on your podcast app of choice so that others can find us. Thank you. Now let's get into it. Carol, welcome to the Learning and Development Podcast. Thank you. Good to be here. Now, resilience seems to be a concern and a priority for our time, not just inside organisations, but in life in general. Even my five-year-old daughter learns about resilience and is rewarded for being resilient at school. So what is it and why is it such a hot topic? It's a good question. I think why it's a hot topic is because it seems to be showing up in, I mean, numerous areas of life. I mean, in terms of like your daughter, uh, I think that's probably coming up as a, a sort of criticism of the parenting of people like me, who were part of that generation that thought we've really got to protect our kids. Mm. Right. So we, we, we watch over them. We control where they spend their time. You know, we, we helicopter. Uh, but actually, a phrase I heard recently was that we were lawnmower parents. So mm. what we did was we mowed out of the way any sort of obstacle. Life must be smooth for our children. Mm. And actually, it doesn't serve them well, because resilience is really about the learning that you take from the things that go wrong. Ah. So for kids, all that time they spend outside playing with other kids, having to sort out their difficulties, having adventures, things going slightly wrong, taking care of each other. I mean, all of that's what develops resilience. And mm. our model, I think, of parenting has often been we want life to be completely smooth and completely controlled. And the outcome of that is often a child who grows into an adult who doesn't know how to manage themselves through difficult times. That's interesting. I love that that phrase there. Learn from learning from the things that go wrong. Um, certainly, I would have been guilty of, of perhaps overcomplicating <laughs> then then what, what what this actually means. So, what is it then in terms of um, organisations? What what's resilience in the in that context? Well, I think I think we sort of step back a bit. There's that question: of Why are we even talking about it now? Because mm. no one talked about it ten years ago. No one mm. ever came to me and said we need resilience. And, you know, in looking around at the organisations I work with, I think there's some big themes. I mean, one is life in organisations is very, very unpredictable. I mm. mean, we see that on a daily basis, don't we? With the newspaper headlines about organisations that we assumed would be there forever ago. I think people are constantly being faced by reorganisations, new strategies, new structures. So it feels as though there's no sort of fixed fixed way through an organisation anymore. Mm. I think the demands on people, you know, as, as we see as new competitors have come into the market, organisations that are large and have been there for a long time are having to become much more agile. And that means making tough decisions, people being shared, people being recontracted on different bases, people having to do more with less mm. to tighter deadlines. So there's a whole climate, I think, that feels much less certain. And within that, in order to, in a way, work within it, it requires a, a level of agility mm. 
that people didn't need to have in the past. And, you know, resilience has got that concept of you've got to be able to flex. You've got to be able to adapt and you've got to take the learning. But that concept of you need to be much more responsive to the environment because you don't know what next year is going to bring. Mm. And you may have to reconfigure your skill set, your career expectations, who you report to. I mean, all of those things, I think, are all unsettling for people. Um, so what kind of circumstances are we talking about that require resilience then? You, meant, you mentioned there that there are environmental, there are systemic uh, situations or issues being then projected onto individuals, which organisations are mm. part of that. Organisations mm. are there to, to seek to, to survive and thrive in what is perhaps a more turbulent environment mm. out there. Um, so when we are considering the individual touch there upon uh, people's own ability to navigate a more uncertain career landscape. Mm. But what, what other things in your experience are you, are you seeing and then seeking to address with and for organisations? Well, I think in terms of individuals within organisations, mm. then, uh, well, I just think of an example last week, someone who says, I've had nine bosses in two years, so I never know what's expected of me right? Mm. I haven't got a relationship with those people. So that is unsettling. And if that person happens to be demanding, if they bring uh, a mindset which is about, you know, I only look for what's wrong, I criticise, I don't offer support, those contextual things Mm. can knock people's sense of confidence and their belief that they can do the job. So I think sometimes it's around the way in which a person's being managed. Yeah. Uh, I think sometimes it's about people are being asked to let go maybe of a skill set that they had confidence in and they're being asked to behave in new ways mm-hmm. and there's a part of them that's not sure that they can. Mm-hmm. Uh, I think sometimes it's the result of feedback, people being told, actually, you're not going to get, you thought that you, you were going to get this role, this mm-hmm. was your career projection, and they're told, well, actually, now you're not because we're bringing in people from outside. They're coming in at the level of this. So people's career expectations, that again, knocks their resilience. A project that goes wrong and they feel blamed or they're blaming themselves. Mm. That's a whole range of things. And then alongside that, the bit we're not, we often don't recognise this. And alongside that, people have lives. So I'm heading up a really challenging project. And at the same time, I'm dealing with, I'm going through a divorce Mm. or a parent's died or my child has got mental health issues, or I'm having to combine this with doing some caring support for someone who's got dementia. Now, all of that has to impact on how we're then dealing with the demands of the environment. And I think often we haven't recognised that those two things go hand in hand. Yeah. Well, I think back to to my experience when I was at Disney uh, and I'd been there uh, only two or three years before the financial crash the global global economic meltdown um all of a sudden i'm thinking am i going to have a job here like i love what i'm doing um uh, i've just moved in with my then girlfriend we're having a conversation Mm. she was at disney as well we're thinking what do we do if one of us gets made redundant Mm. we're having conversations about like 
do we have to move back to a mum and dad? You know, there's all of this stuff on top of the 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 work itself, I suppose, where you are you're still looking to to strive and achieve and deal with internal politics because people are butting up against uh, characters and systems and expectations uh, every day as well as well as the the fight and struggle for resources. And again, during that time, which doesn't seem too long ago, uh, organisations were going from spending in order to grow to cutting operational mm. costs, which again is going to change the internal dynamic. So I, you know, I can only imagine that in the last 10 years, what it means and those situations for which we're expecting people themselves to be resilient mm. has changed and morphed, which you know, if we're thinking 10 years, that's not a lot of time for us to adapt. So in, in, yes, you're right. In evolutionary terms, it's a nanosecond, isn't mm. it? And yet, if you look at the landscape now, 10 years on from the crash, it would probably look unrecognisable to many people, you mm. know. And if I think, because I can go back much further than that, you know, I think about when I first came into doing, uh, I was doing a lot of career-related work back in the 80s, uh, at the time when a bank had about 30 levels mm. where you knew you'd get a promotion every two years, where the demands on you, there was no digital competition. You had status because you were, you know, you worked, particularly if you were a manager, you had status, mm. you had lifelong security. And you look at banking now and, you know, it, it must be as though it's been decimated. I mean, what's expected of people's different the fear of competition from people you could never in a million years have imagined mm. that people could set up banks very easily um, and they'd be taking away the next generation of customers because they're much more comfortable with that style. So you're right, the landscape has changed dramatically, but we have to acknowledge there are still a lot of people operating in these organisations who grew in that previous world. Yeah. So what they're seeing is particularly unsettling. Uh, you know, just touches on their, you know, gen generational differences within within any organisation. Sometimes those can be oversimplified or those can be described in a way that is convenient for whoever's describing. Mm. But when you take a look at what what people have experienced over their, their working careers, mm. you can see how the expectation for them to change and morph in such a short amount of time mm. is going to have an impact. Now, I'd be interested to to know then. Look, we've we've touched on just some of the different circumstances mm. there, and anybody who listens to this podcast knows that I'm never a big fan of a one and done mm -hmm. attend a workshop mm. and think you've solved a yeah. problem. Yeah. Um, and so, just a couple of questions. You know, is there one approach or or a type of approach to apply and develop resilience? And another question is this. The listeners gonna might be hearing this, having launched or, or implemented or delivered some kind of well-being initiative mm -hmm. within their organization as well, for which resilience may be a part. Where does resilience kind of fit in? Has it usurped it? Where did, or, or does it fall within well-being? You know, though, so a couple of questions on the approach that we might take yeah. to, to really addressing the problems that, that we that we started to yeah. unpack. I mean, I agree with you that this one-off, let's do a half day on well-being, and then that's our responsibility to resilience is done, is, is inadequate. Mm. Um, if you look at the research, because, you know, research has been done looking at what's the most, what's the most effective way of uh, developing resilience. And 
you know, the evidence is actually it's less that you take a particular approach and it's more that there's some support. So supporting a half day workshop with the availability of some one to one work mm. is much more powerful. You know, whether that means that you uh, L&D has a link up then with the internal coaching team mm -hmm. and says, you know, once you've done your half day, you can have some one to one to work to maybe to figure out not just that, you know, you know, you should get eat and sleep and move, but actually to help you look at why you don't eat and sleep and move to, yeah. to help people better understand. Um, or, um, I mean, my approach is to actually almost take away this word resilience, because I think because it can be interpreted in a million different ways um, is, is almost just to look at people as individuals and say, if we think of resilience as it's an outcome, it's not a it's thing not, no. that you have. It's an outcome and it's an outcome of a whole variety of different things. So your confidence level, your sense of connection to what you're doing, your optimism, your ability to flex, your ability to be creative, uh, your ability to manage your emotions, right? All of those things mm. contribute to your resilience. So as much as looking at resilience as being a lack, which I think is often what happens, I think it's really important to start by saying, Let's look at the resilience that you've got, because we're all resilient, right? You don't survive as a species without <laughs> resilience. So let's unpack what it is you've already got and how you use that, because they're all really important pieces of this jigsaw. And then let's try and find what's the piece of the jigsaw that maybe you've never developed as well mm. or has fallen out. It falls out. You know, if I'm really under pressure, the things that goes is perspective mm. right then what i what i want is someone to help me to find perspective or if the thing that goes is my ability to be decisive and to take action then actually i just need help in getting in being able to trust myself about getting being able to make a decision and act on it mm. i don't need a whole big program that says you need resilience um and so certainly when i'm working one-to-one -one with people, that's, that's how I would approach it. But I think if you're looking at an L&D perspective, I think one of the pieces that maybe hasn't been given enough attention is actually looking at it as more of a team issue mm. and saying, actually, let's look at how this team's operating. Is this team really clear on what it's there to do and, and is signed up to it? Is this team supportive of each other? You know, in this team, can you come out and say, I'm really struggling? And I, I need some help. Or do I even notice when somebody else in this team is struggling and offer them some help? Does this team actually notice what's going well? Or does this team only give all their focus to what's going wrong and who's to blame for it? So I think there's a big space around looking at resilience beyond the individual, mm. which I think L&D could do. And is that generally your approach? So you're, you're talking there about understanding uh, well, on one on one hand, understanding what's really going on. First of all, as you said there, and I like I like that, as in understanding how you are resilient rather mm. than rather than the deficit. And does that start with a diagnostic? Is that a coaching approach? What's what what's that look like? Well, you can do it, you can do it with questionnaires. I mm. mean, I've certainly developed uh, a questionnaire I use, but you know, th there are there are many commercial ones. Mm -hmm. 
Um, so you can start from there or you can just start from a conversation. Mm. I mean, I, I often just have a conversation, but I've got, you know, I'm scanning that conversation to, to be listening for things like um, how, how is this person showing up? I mean, do mm. they, do they look exhausted? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I mean, that's a clue. You can just look at someone and get a sense. How is this person speaking about their work? Mm. You know, do they talk about it as though it's something that is just makes them constantly angry? Uh, are they talking about it as something I'm really passionate about? Because if you're passionate about it, you're probably going to stick with the ups and downs of it. How do they talk about their people at work, the people they're with at work? Do you get a sense that they're sort of disconnecting? Because that's often quite a useful mm. signal that resilience is getting stretched. Do I get a sense this person's supported either inside or outside of work? What's the language they use around their emotions when they, when they speak? Are all their is all their language about negatives mm. and their emotions negative? You know, anger and resentment and cynicism and I mean a whole whole language that might give you clues as to actually this person isn't in a good place. Um, so I would be listening as much as I might be using a questionnaire, but there are certainly questionnaires that would give you a, a way into having that sort of conversation. So it seems to me that um, at the risk of oversimplifying, that this isn't something just to be delivered or just to be attended. This is a commitment. If this, if this is a commitment from an organisation, but more particularly from a group of people who work together. Is that right? I think I think there's certainly it can be really valuable. I mean, I think of uh, an organisation I've been working with where the the person who was leading them uh, had arrived in a new job in a new organisation, having moved to a new location as he was going through a divorce and has his father was dying. Mm. And he said, you know, I was in this really new challenging job. And there was no way on earth that I could be giving 100% to it. There was so much going on. And he said, and I watched myself and I saw that the way I was dealing with it was by becoming sort of bitter and angry and not wanting contact with my team and doing a whole pile of things which, were about, which he thought were protecting him. And then he said, I woke up one day and I thought, actually, I don't like the person that I'm seeing that goes into work. So he said, he took the risk of saying to his team, actually, I want you to know this because it may help you to understand how I sometimes am. And what that opened up, it's a whole big dialogue uh, within the whole team where people were able to say, yeah, I, you know, and I'm exhausted. I've just got my first baby mm. <laughs> and I, I come into work sleep deprived or yeah, I'm really struggling because I don't know what to do because I know my parents should be going into care, but they don't want to. And, and he said, suddenly it opened up a whole piece about bringing our humanity to work. And in doing that, people started becoming much more supportive of each other. Um, and he says, now we have, we have breakfast once a month. And the whole thing is you just talk about how you're showing up at work. Mm. And he says, it's really helped us not just as a let's offload, but it's actually helped us to actually be more productive because there's something about sharing yeah. that actually helps people to deal with the demands on them. And although we know that in terms of support groups outside of work, you know, if you're struggling with drink or alcohol or you've recently been bereaved, there are all sorts of support groups, but we don't think about that within work. And yet it's 
probably one of the most powerful things that you can have is to create a climate where people can offer and, and share. I certainly, again, looking back on my own experience, if I think about the places that I've worked with the people that I've been closest to, I've it's probably been the healthiest mm. because, you know, you can, you know, you, you celebrate together, you might moan, you might pick each other mm. up, you'll be close. And, you know, I, I'm still friends with the people that I have been that close with. And mm. I think that there is strength in that. Whereas perhaps there are, there are people that I'm not close with where mm. I didn't feel that sense mm-hmm. of connection. I think that that's probably um, how that's happened organically. So I can, it, it's certainly resonating that, mm-hmm. that when, when people, when people care about each mm. other, there is, it just seems healthier. Um, but I do want to ask Carol, oh, yeah. how are organisations themselves contributing to these problems? We're talking about mm. them helping to address, but going, going back to what you mentioned earlier, I can't think of too many organisations who aren't trying to achieve more with less. Mm. And, and it's not the computer systems mm. picking up all the slack, it's mm. the people. Mm. So, so to what extent are you seeing in, in the work that you do that it is the organisation that's, that's perhaps uh, the cause of uh, some of the problems? Well, it's always difficult, isn't it, when you say organisation, because then it becomes a them. Yeah. There's, there's this amorphous thing over there called an organisation, when actually it's the choices and the thinking of individuals within that organisation uh, that actually frame the environment which either is causing stress or not causing stress. Mm. So I think if you look at it as the whole system, then often the people at the top, uh, what we know is that people who end up in very senior positions are are resilient, whether by nature or Mm. by development, they are resilient. So I think that can often lead to a disconnect between realising the impact of the decisions they're making on the people beneath them. Mm. I think often they just don't see the implications. But for people lower down the organisation, and that's the individual manager, I guess there's an issue about how much do people operate from a sense of this is what the system does to us and we have no control, or what can we take control of? What can I take control of? Um, and that, I think, often means being willing to do some pushback. Yeah. Um, and that can seem a very courageous thing to do, to say, actually, we can't take this on, or I cannot deliver this without more resource, uh, or that's, I don't agree with that decision. But there's something about if we can access our own you know, internal locus of control that can be powerful in terms of challenging the system because I think for many people they are seeing it as the organisation does this. Mm. We have no agency. It's just how it has to be. And then that contributes to people being able to say there's nothing I can do about it. It's all their fault. But it doesn't actually help you. It doesn't actually help you to deal with it for yourself. So I think I don't tend to think of things in organisational terms. I tend to think of it in terms of if this is the reality of the situation you're in, and, and we know that having to do more with less is a reality, where do you still have some locus of control? And that might be in terms of how, what you are willing to take on, what you say no to, but it's also about your attitude, mm. about sometimes saying this is the best I can do and no more. Uh, I can't deliver perfection in mm. this environment. You know, that can be hard for people to do. So 
I think that's an important part is looking at an individual level of what you can take control of within an imperfect system. Uh, perhaps what the organisation, if we talk in terms of organisation, what it sometimes doesn't do is, is actually acknowledge that there is a cost to these things, that just because you're introducing a new strategy, it doesn't mean that there isn't a high cost and loss for many people and to actually recognise what, what those are. Um, and I think some of that doesn't happen a great deal. It's just like you just go on to the next thing without acknowledging that often you're asking people to let go of things that they felt very attached to. Um, um, what realistically do you think L&D teams can do for the people in their organisations to develop resilience in their contexts in which their people work, knowing that a lot of the time L&D teams are pretty lean themselves mm. well it'd be easy to say put it all online wouldn't it mm. um and and i think there are some things you can put online but i think ultimately with with issues like this you need some contact as well yeah. so i don't think just saying let's now have a vast range of bite-sized inputs i don't i think that can be part of the offer um perhaps that you know just thinking about what you were saying maybe it's about bringing people together and certainly I've done this with um, uh, an organization I worked with it which was in the states where what what they did or what they asked me to do was actually just bring to a group of senior people together periodically just to talk about what was impacting on them mm. so almost like action learning yeah but with a focus of how resourced am I to deal with what's going on um, and that was really powerful because it allowed them to bring their humanity yeah. and to say, actually, I've just been told to make a 17% cut in my budget, you know, for next year. And actually, I don't know how I'm going to do that. Yeah. And I feel really anxious about what this means. And somehow being able to talk about that with a group of peers meant they went away feeling more resourced mm. and supported. So I think there may be a place for things like that. Um, I think looking at how you can set up, you know, regular, regular bites rather than here's a one-off dip. Mm. Uh, we know there are organisations who do things like mindfulness and all of those sorts of things, which all have a place. But the truth is there's no one thing which is right for everyone. Yeah. And, and, and at any particular time, I suppose, as yeah. well. Yeah. So there's nothing wrong with all of those things around health and well-being and mindfulness. They've all got a place but they're, they're, they're not the answer by itself because there are some people who would never, ever want to yeah. do mindfulness. But what they might appreciate is uh, a short workshop which is about how to stop yourself ruminating and going over and over the same stuff all the time. Mm. That might appeal to someone. Uh, or uh, offering some co-coaching. Yeah, developing some co-coaching skills so that if I'm having a really tough time, I know that there's a colleague who can help me think it through. It might just be a one-off. Yeah. So I think there are a whole range of things. Also building it into programs. Um, certainly sometimes I find myself doing an input on resilience within a leadership program. But a lot of what I'm focusing on there is um, how do you impact on your team? Yeah. What might you be doing? which actually tests their resilience, not just about 
how do I stay resilient as a leader? So I think it has to be a multi, a multiple pronged approach, but I don't think it all needs to require lots of money. No, it sounds to me as if it's an ongoing conversation. There needs to be a willingness for, um, for, for people to, to start this off, a commitment that, that this is something that is important in that in that regard it's not really a miles off my daughter's school in which it's a value you know mm. it's something that they will always talk about mm. there's a, a high expectation it's rewarded mm. and and maybe in the same way as that's the way that the school wants to help people to 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 operate and develop that's something that that an organization would as well as you said it's not something that you attend and then you're done. Mm. It's an ongoing conversation. Mm. It's an offer that's there when it's required. And people will have certain challenges at certain times. I mean, um, think and look back at my experience of uh, working in organisations as well. Sometimes people don't start a conversation until mm. it's almost too mm. late. It's almost throw the computer out the window time yeah. before they realise wait a minute, I, I think I might need some help. You know, hindsight's a powerful thing. Yeah. How many conversations do you have with people who say, I wish I'd spoke with mm. someone earlier, or I wish I'd done mm. that? Because sometimes when you're in the grip, it, you just don't have the, have the clarity. So it seems to me as, you know, uh, interpreting what you're saying there is, is uh, always having this on the, gen- the agenda, not, not perhaps launching uh, and then delivering large, heavy programs, mm but just having stuff around, people around, mm. to, to engage in, in those important conversations when the time's right. Yeah, no, I think you're absolutely right. Because most of the time, most of us are resilient. That's, mm. that's our yeah. set. It's just that either sometimes we get pressures that have gone on and on and on for so long that we reach that sort of point where we can't be stretched anymore. Um, and sometimes it's because something life throws something awful at us that knocks us off balance. Mm. Um, But, you know, I was just thinking as you were talking about, you know, in the last few weeks, I've been uh, spending a lot of time at the hospital because my my husband's mother was going through the final stages of her life. And so I spent a lot of time sitting in 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 a hospital room and observing the nursing staff. And what struck me daily as I sat there was their resilience mm. because they were dealing with all sorts of things that just happened in the moment. Um, sometimes dramatic, sometimes you know, patients who were, had all sorts of problems, maybe mental health problems or whatever, and they were really difficult to manage. And what I, what I heard time and time again when I listened to them was one, they had an enormous sense of connection to what they were doing, mm. right? That's what anchored them. You know, it doesn't matter how difficult this situation is or how difficult this patient is. They had a sense of, I know why I'm here. And you could feel that. And then the second thing that they did was they were enormously supportive of each other. You could, I could hear them. You know, if someone was having a tough time, you'd hear them saying, you know, what can I do for you? Would you like me to help? Would you like... Just those two things, just kept them resourced in a situation which for anyone would find would find tough. Mm. And I think that enables them to keep going on a daily basis. Um, and I think a lot of what we're talking about in organisations is it's just that relentlessness of the day-to-day where people don't have enough recovery time to actually reset themselves. That's a large part of it. And then sometimes life throws you a wobbly. Yeah. And, 
you know, and they're the times when both of those times are when it would be really helpful to know that there was something there, somebody there that you could talk with, or maybe something you could read or, you know, but something that you could access without being told you've now got to go on the get yourself resilience, get a bit of grip course, yeah. uh, because actually that probably isn't what you need at that moment. That's probably a good point then for me to ask you, what are some of the misconceptions around resilience that perhaps we need to, to address? Yes. I think there are lots. I mean, if you ask 10 people what resilience is, you get 10 completely different answers. And that's not surprising because there are about 100 different definitions in the sort of, you know, in the academic literature. So I think there's one which is about, it's just about keeping going. Mm. And uh, that actually comes out of uh, one of the origins of resilience, which was about, you know, how tough is a material? You know, can this building withstand an earthquake? So there's that sense of, you know, can you just hold yourself up and be strong? Um, and that's what resilience is. Or if you get knocked over, can you just instantly bounce back again? Which is, and you hear that phrase a lot, it's about bounce back ability. Yeah. Uh, you know, get knocked down eight times, stand up nine times. Um, so I think there's that sort of myth about you should be able to bounce back if you're made of the right stuff. Um, there's another myth about it, it's about you either have it or you don't, mm. you know, and um, for a long time, uh, even researchers thought it was something you either had. They used to talk about orchids and dandelions, you know, you're either a tender flower and that's how you came into the world and you need a lot of protection or you're a dandelion and it means you're pretty nigh indestructible mm. and we just divide. And um, actually... There is a little bit of genetics in this, I mean, a little bit. But actually, most of it is based on, well, two factors, actually. One is, did you have a childhood which provided you with enough of a sense of safety that you internalise that so you can then go out into the world and deal with tough stuff and you've still got a sort of secure base inside you? Mm. Um, and the other is, and the main one is, most of our resilience is what we've learned. So I guess the myths are things like you're born with it. It's all about being tough. <laughs> uh, it's about just being, keeping going. You know, if you can just keep going, keep going, then you're made of the right stuff. Uh, and uh, it's just how you come into the world, mm. right? I think there are four of the myths. And I think the truth, the truth is most of the resilience is from the stuff that you never wanted to happen. Yeah. That's what builds your resilience. And along with that goes, and sometimes it varies. And that's part of being human. Yeah. But most of the time we get back, we get back into um, a stable place. But resilience is about, and what learning have you taken from that? So if you're still dealing with situations and disappointments in the same way at 40 as you did at 16, then you haven't increased your resilience. Mm. That's interesting. And building on that then, Carol, um, what can we all, first of all, to recognise mm. that we are all resilient? Mm. I, lo I love that. Mm. I'm going to certainly take mm. that away from this conversation. What can we all be doing to help ourselves to develop greater resilience? Well, there's a number of things uh, we can all do. One is to actually acknowledge our resilience and to say, you know, recognize what are the things that have shaped me 
uh, you know, what are the disappointments, you know, the, the exams I never passed, the jobs I didn't get, the relationships I never had, or the relationships that went wrong, you know, what, what has that given me? Mm. Um, and rather than brushing those things to one side and say, I wouldn't be who I was if it wasn't for those, for those experiences. So what have they taught me? So I was brought up by um, a mother who was widowed very young, left with three children um, and no money and little education. Um, but actually, all of those things shaped someone who was enormously resilient, actually. Uh, bizarrely, she had an immense sense of optimism. Mm. She would always be looking for, well, things can get better. What can you do? She was always very pragmatic and was willing to change when the circumstances demanded that. Um, and there were a whole other raft of qualities it gave her. Now, I don't suppose if I sat her down now, uh, she, would ever have, she would never have said those things herself. But actually, she modelled them all the time. Mm. But I think what we can do is to think about, well, what, what has that given me? All those things I never wanted to happen. And... How might I use those now? I think we can also think about how we take care of ourselves when we're going through a tough time. And I know that many of us, when we're going through a tough time, and I'm, this is true of me as well, we default to things which aren't necessarily helpful. Like we drink too much, we eat rubbish, we mm. stop exercising, uh, we stop staying in touch with people, right? Um, and if we can be aware of of what we think are our coping strategies, but they're not. They're our hanging on by our fingernail strategies. Mm. If we can recognize when, when I, we're going into one of those and start to think, is this really going to help me? And then start to think about what might be more useful. So actually, I do feel better if I do a bit of exercise, even if it's just walking a bit further to work. I feel better. Mm. I do feel better if actually I go and have some fun with a friend. I do feel better if I take a proper lunch break, you know, whatever those things are. So I think those, those two things. And I think probably, you know, there's um, uh, uh, a researcher that, that talks about um, the biggest enemy of resilience is rumination. And what they mean by that is it's when we're just going over and over and over something that's gone wrong. So we go to a meeting and we're not great. Mm. Or we maybe our point doesn't get listened to, or we have a bad appraisal, or a client gives us some really tough, you know, we don't get the sale, or whatever it is. It's very easy for us to go into that rumination of creating a narrative in our head about it's about me, what's the matter with me? It will never get any better. I can see this is going to lead to da-da-da-da-da. And we go into catastrophizing. Mm. And then if we can catch ourselves when we're ruminating and just stop and say, okay, this is the story I'm running around my head. Is it true? Right? Is it true? Um, if it's not true, here's my evidence, right? <laughs> here's why it's not true. <laughs> because it makes us, forces us to widen our lens. So we're not just looking for that stuff that tells us how terrible we are, but we're widening the lens saying, actually, you know, maybe... There were other reasons why we didn't get that sale. Perhaps my manager, maybe I only heard particular bits of that appraisal. You know, actually, most of the time in that meeting, I think I made my points well. So 
we do the we do some reality checking and then to actually think and what might be more useful for me to be thinking now so there's something about interrupting rumination which is incredibly helpful to resilience because again it's it it puts us back into perspective which is one of the things we lose mm-hmm. when we're feeling really stressed we go for whatever our particular version is and we all have different ones mm. whether it's it's all their fault or it's all my fault or everything's terrible or my career is over or whatever story we create i think if we can notice when we're going into that and can start to bring in some challenge and sometimes it's even helpful to give it a name to actually notice oh i'm going into that i am terrible voice mm-hmm. and it's just to say is that true well not totally true okay so give what's your evidence what might be more useful um and even if it's partly true is it the whole truth no okay so just simple things like that mm-hmm. i think can can stop us and then i guess a third thing if, if i've already said two things but we always speak in threes don't we <laughs> um a third thing would be to notice what you know helps you get back you know do you have some strategies that you know help you when you're really pressured and what are they and it doesn't matter how weird they may be so i was um working with somebody a few weeks ago who's the ceo and he's working away from his family in another country. And he's been given an incredibly hard time by the board and thought that he was under real pressure uh, and risk. And he said, you know, I went to a punk rock concert last night and I felt so much better. <laughs> and I looked at him and thought, I never would have thought you'd have gone to a punk. <laughs> but he was connecting with a part of him when he was much younger yeah. and something positive. And he said, I just felt so much better for going somewhere that had nothing to do with all this horrible stuff that was going on and reminded me I could still have fun and reminded me I still had some energy. You know, there was a youthful me somewhere inside there as well. And I think things like that, like do something that's got nothing whatsoever to do with what's causing you grief, to remind yourself that you are more than whatever it is that's going on at work. Mm. Great advice there. Um, and to round us off, Carol, uh, if the listener feels they need to address or as their learning and development function needs to address resilience, um, where do you suggest they start? In terms of going inside the organisation? Yeah, they're inside the organisation and their team. And it, it's either come from a stakeholder yeah. uh, or it's been recognised themselves mm-hmm. that this is something that we need to focus on as an organisation. Okay. Well, you know, the easy thing is to do a sort of training needs analysis, isn't it? Mm. Um, But I would go and talk to people. I would forget the label because I think the label can lead you down a particular route of this will be the solution. Mm. And I would go and talk to whoever's raised it and get an understanding of what is it that's making them say that? What are they noticing? Yeah. Yeah. And how is that different from how they may normally experience the team or themselves? And to start from that and then build from that in terms of, well, what is the real need? Mm. Is, it, is it about helping people to manage their emotions better at work? Is it that everybody in the team's lost a sense of why are we doing this? Is it that they aren't taking care of their well-being? But not to start from a premise of that there is a thing called resilience training. Yeah. Because 
actually that can lead you down to spending a lot of money on things which might not actually address what the real need is. Mm. Brilliant. Carol, um, uh, it's been a pleasure speaking with you. If people want to connect with you or follow your work, how can they do so? Oh, thank you for asking. Um, well, they can go onto my website, which is called coachingtosolutions.com and they'll find, uh, they'll find some blogs there. They'll find a resilience questionnaire if they want to uh, complete that. They'll find some video clips. Um, so all of those, the things that people might want to look at. Um, if they're wanting to look at different ways of working with resilience, particularly working one-to-one, they could look at um, a book that I wrote uh, that's called uh, Resilience, a Practical Guide for Coaches, because there's lots of different ways of working with resilience there. Or they can send me an email um, mm-hmm. and they can con- they do that either to Carol Pemberton uh, at carol.pemberton at coachingtosolutions.com or just through the sort of contact form on the website. So there's, yeah, there's lots of things there. And also there's, you know, there's information and links to other things they might want to look at. Great. And we'll put some links in the show notes as well. Thank you. Thank you very much for being a guest on the Learning and Development Podcast. Thank you. There's clearly a need for us all to build on the resilience we have. And it's not a simple thing to address it at an organisational level. But I'm sure you found this conversation useful in understanding where we can begin to help. If you'd like to get in touch with me, perhaps to suggest topics you'd like to hear discussed, you can tweet me at David in Learning, connect on LinkedIn or Facebook, for which you'll find the links in the show notes. Goodbye for now.